feel like you've been in the presence of the Lord this morning? Hopefully you have. So, Well, uh, like I said, you get uh, me instead of Pastor John. Hopefully everybody's okay with that this morning. And uh, I promise I won't make you suffer too long. But uh, God gives grace. <laughs> and uh, today's going to be good. I am super excited about today uh, for a few reasons. And, um, but uh, God... Um, Oh, well, I, actually, you get to uh, hear my wife speak today as well. So y'all make Rachel feel welcome. And uh, I'm super excited. And uh, I promised her I wouldn't, wouldn't dote, so I'm not going to dote. So just know that I'm super proud of my wife and all of her accomplishments and, and the anointing that God has on her life. So you get that treat today. Um, but uh, so in this, when Pastor John said, yes, I want you to speak on Sunday, I talked with Rachel. Uh, what, what kind of... Uh, you know, what kind of, uh, you, know, you know, thoughts do you have and, and everything? And I just, I just didn't want to just make it up. And so we started talking about sufficient grace. And, uh, and, and it's, it's quite, uh, I'm excited at the same time, a bit intimidated because how many know that the subject of grace is a massive subject and it's, it's big. Uh, and so uh, in the attempt to try to explain grace, I mean, it's, uh, it'll be a feeble attempt um, at, at best, but uh, I believe God has placed some things in order and, and uh, placed some things in our heart that, uh, that I believe is going to be a, an encouragement to you. In fact, the, the, the more we began to put the outline together and begin to uh, talk about this, the more excited I began. And, and, uh, and I like to say this because it seems like uh, lately, uh, any time that I've had a chance to speak, I feel like God has set you up. So you've been set up. So um, so anyway, so we're going to pray uh, one more time and just ask the Lord to anoint our lips. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity. Lord, and I, I humbly come to you. Rachel and I both humbly come to you and just say, God, fill our mouths with your words. In fact, Lord, as, you, 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 uh, as your presence is already here, uh, Holy Spirit, put the very words in our mouth, God, that come from your heart. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that we see miracles take place. We see um, encouragement take place, and we'll just give you praise and going on for that. Just let us speak anointed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, yeah, if you're a good Christian, amen. Um, sufficient grace is the, the subject, and uh, like I said, we're going to attempt to do this, but I, I got a, a few scriptures that if you'll just stand with me as we read God's Word together, uh, it should come up on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 2 and 4, and then we're going to read the key scripture. I'll have you flip to that in just a moment. But um, anyway, uh, Paul writing here, uh, obviously we know, uh, most of us know that Paul wrote most of the New Testament, uh, the wisdom that was in that man and uh, the, uh, the things that, that he learned and, and that God showed him and he began to teach really lay a foundation for a lot of our Christian faith and, uh, and, and explain things and revelations of things. But uh, he opens up and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with, we, with which uh, we ourselves are comforted by God. And then the key verse today, um, very familiar scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. So if you want to give you a couple seconds there to flip there. 
Uh, you'll be very familiar with the scripture if you've been in church long. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it says, And he said, God speaking, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And just a few thoughts, you can be seated. Just a few thoughts on this, on this, the subject of sufficient grace. Uh, I, I think most of us know this, but just in case, or it, it always does good, even though I, how, how many have ever come across the word and you're like, you know what it means, but it just helps to go to the dictionary and just actually read the meaning. It's like, uh, you may not quite have the words in your mouth. Like I'll, I'll have my, my kids ask me, they'll be like, uh, Hey, what's the meaning of this word? And I'm like, eh. um, I know what it means, but to put it into words is another thing. So a lot of times it just helps to go to the dictionary and look up the meaning uh, of grace. Or when you're studying the Bible, not only the dictionary that we have, but also like, you know, the Hebrew and the Greek and, kind of, you know, try, just to try to get the full picture painted uh, that, that God wanted to paint in his word. And so grace, uh, we know that is unmerited favor uh, or basically unearned or undeserved favor. And how many kind of know what, what that means? It's, I, I was reminded this morning of the, uh, uh, of the story in the Bible. How many remember, uh, know the man named by Mephibosheth? Anybody remember him? I was playing too. How many know King David? Okay, you know King David? Uh, King Saul and his son Jonathan. King da- uh, Saul uh, hated David. Uh, he wanted to kill David uh, for reasons. I mean, Saul uh, was the anointed king at one time, and then he rebelled against the, the heart of God. And so uh, God uh, moved his anointing and calling to King David. And, uh, of course, David killed the giant and all that kind of stuff. And people started saying, you know, King Saul has slayed his thousands, and David has slayed his tens of thousands. And he got this little punk kid who comes and shows up the king. And so over a period of time, it just, he just developed this anger and this animosity and hatred for David. But it's kind of interesting that King Saul's son, Jonathan, became David's best friend. That's a, that's a movie right there, right? <laughs> a twisted movie. You got, you got the guy who hates and you know, we're best friends with the, with the son. And so the, the, the prince of, of Israel, if you will, is best friends with David who is going to be king. And so, as time goes on, Jonathan has a son named Mephibosheth. And so, eventually, later on in life, and you'd have to go and read all the different stories and, you know, the interactions and things like that, but eventually King Saul and Jonathan are in battle and both get killed in battle. Well, it is tradition, it was tradition of that day, that when the succeeding king would take power, especially if he was from another family, which David was, he would then go to the old king or the previous king's family and kill all the family members so that there would be no competition and there would be no threat to the new crown. So upon hearing Mephibosheth is a baby, had a caretaker, and upon hearing that that King Saul and Jonathan had both been killed in battle, so now there's no king and there's no prince to take the throne, and they know that King David has been anointed by Samuel to take Saul's place, the caretaker grabs Mephibosheth and takes off to hide him. In the process of that, Mephibosheth is dropped and is forever crippled from that point on in hiding. Fast forward a few years later, and David decides, he's like, hey, he calls his, you know, whoever in, you know, investigators or whatever. He said, hey, I want to find out if there's anybody left of the house of Saul. Of course, everybody kind of like, 
you know, gets a little nervous. And they eventually find out, it's like, yeah, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, we found him. He's like, I want you to bring him to me. So here's Mephibosheth, already an enemy of the crown. He's crippled for life and can't do anything. He's an invalid. He can't do anything for himself. He's got a caretaker, so he he doesn't contribute anything to society or or can contribute to anything. And now he's been called by the king. And now he's he's coming in. He stands in the presence of the king. Certainly he's going to die. And David begins to tell Mephibosheth, he said, Because of your father Jonathan and our friendship, this day you will no longer live in the house that you've been living in, the cabin back in the backwoods, on the other side of the mountain, or wherever you've been hiding. But today, you will live in this house. Today, you will be clothed with royal garments, and you will sit with me from now on at my table and eat dinner with me. That is grace. Mephibosheth cannot offer anything but a thank you He contributes nothing, unearned, undeserved grace given. And, of course, I could go on with other examples, but for time, I don't want to do that, and I've got to get this in context. So grace, the definition, unmerited favor, unearned, undeserved. And how many glad for God's grace this morning? Let me give you some background on this, uh, because the question was asked, uh, you know, Rachel, uh, Rachel, when when you— brought this up. She said that she had sent a text message or whatever uh, on this subject. And, was like, and the question came up. It was like, well, what am I really saying? It's like, uh, God's grace is sufficient. What am I really saying when I say that God's grace is sufficient? So let's kind of build some framework here, some background information on where that scripture is written and who Paul is writing that to. Uh, the city of Corinth was a, was a city of wealth, uh, commerce. I mean, economy was booming, but it was also a city of depravity. It was also, they, sexual immorality, it says, was running rampant. Prostitution was used as idol worship. Apparently, the Corinthians and the Corinthian Christians had a hard time separating themselves from the cultural practices. So Paul was trying to, somewhat in vain, it seems, to encourage the Corinthian believers to go to higher standards, to live a godly life. Second, the Corinthians, uh, the Second Corinthians, the letter, was actually his third letter, at least, to the group after several lengthy personal visits uh, to try to steer the church in the, in the ways of the Lord. To put it mildly, Paul got frustrated because he kept trying to encourage, and he, he, he probably tried the general approach, and then he kind of amped it up, and then he just got frustrated and desperately wanted these believers to desire to be the church those called out from the world into the kingdom. And in chapters uh, 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul felt the need to answer a question the Corinthians seemed to be asking themselves. Why should we even listen to Paul? So they were, they were glad and received him well in the beginning, but then they started to question, why should I even listen to Paul? Who is he? Paul acknowledged their grumbling, reporting his awareness that some say his letters are are weighty and forceful. Don't you love it when somebody calls you into accountability and says, uh, you know, they're your friend. Maybe they even led you to the Lord or or whatever, or you've been growing in the Lord, and then all of a sudden you, you haven't been quite living it, and a friend loves you enough to call you out on it. Is there anybody that's ever had that happen? So, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. How'd it make you feel? All of a sudden, this wonderful, loving friend who you, you, you love so much, all of a sudden, now you want to slap them because they pointed out something that you... Sh- but you know they're right. I mean, have you ever been there? It's like, yeah, you're right. 
So then you got to repent for wanting to slap them because they're right. But anyway, they began to say, your letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's, he, you're unimpressive. Uh, you're, you're speaking amounts to nothing. Wow, they're really going for the juggler, aren't they? They're really going for the insults. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10 talks about the Corinth. Uh, that's where they were talking about that his letters are weighty and forceful, and we're, but we're unimpressed with your speaking ability. The Corinthians were feeling a bit rebellious, and they weren't afraid to say it when Paul wasn't around. So Paul did his best to respond and calmly, uh, uh, respond calmly the rest of chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11, but he eventually even decided to go to sarcasm and mockery. He was infuriated. The, uh, the Corinthians <coughs> were choosing to elevate false prophets' teachings um, above the true gospel uh, he had introduced to them, 2 Corinthians in, uh, chapter 11. So, so you kind of see where the framework is happening as it's leading up to this my grace is sufficient for you. While defending himself, though, he didn't want to give the impression the Corinthians should listen to him. Or, you know, it's like, I, I'm not that big of a deal. I, you know, but, but I, I, I've, I have this. He, he wanted them to realize that it was not Paul, but it was Christ in him that was challenging them to live to a higher standard. To not be entrapped and entangled with the ways of, of the depravity and the, <clears throat> the cultural dynamic that was happening of the idol worship. He wanted them to be called to higher standards and, and be removed, be sanctified. And how many know what sanctify means? It means to, to set apart for a holy use. One of them to consecrate themselves and sanctify themselves to be used for a holy use. And not, you know, the Bible says that we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. Right? We're supposed to be set. We're supposed to be different. It's okay to be unique. I mean, love it when somebody says, uh, you're unique. And then they give you the little grin. You know, they're trying to be complimentary, but it's okay to be unique when it comes to Jesus. Right? When it comes to the life of, of the Christian believer. Paul told the story about his infamous thorn, began to tell the story about his infamous thorn to illustrate his, his humanity and frailty and to emphasize only the existence of an all-powerful God could explain how a man with such restrictive condition could be so successful. How could Paul be so successful in being demonstrated in the Holy Spirit, but yet have this thorn in the flesh? Now, it's theorized, and, and uh, you know, different, uh, there's different theories as, as, to far, as far as to what the thorn in the flesh was, different commentaries and things like that. But it's never really pinpointed as to what that actual thorn in the flesh was. Within this context, Paul recounted how he asked God to take away his thorn three times. So Paul comes up and says, hey, God, can you take this thorn out of my flesh? Whatever the struggle is, this trial was, this thing he was battling, this buffeting spirit, as, as, as it's called, the enemy's coming and buffeting him. You know, Paul went to him and said, hey, three, uh, went to God three times and said, hey, can you, uh, can you take this away from me? Sort of like Jesus in the Garden of Eden. He's like, you know, may this cup pass from me, but not my will, but you'll be done. Yours be done. And so then God responds this way, my grace, and it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9, it should come up on the screen. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power or my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's kind of... Kind of funny, I, I, it, you know, when I looked at that, it's like, you know, here's this thing that Paul brings to the Lord, and three times he's begging God to take it away from him, and then God's response is like, well, my grace is sufficient for you, for my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
And of course, then he goes on to say, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I kind of wonder if he got to that place immediately. Because I think my human response would be like, well, thanks a lot, God. <laughs> I bring this to you, and you just say, hey, you're just going to leave me in the condition? You know, how, how many of you have ever, ever felt like that? It's like, well, thanks a lot, God. I really need you to move this mountain out of the way. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when Ben was texting with me while I was working this week, um, we were talking about this, this scripture. And um, it was funny because I'd actually, I think actually the same day or the day before, sent it to a friend. And um, that friend was waiting on some test results. And as Christians, we could probably all quote 100 different verses that we've heard over our life that can encourage someone going through different seasons. And... Um, I had actually set a timer in my phone to um, send my friend a text just to let her know I was praying for her. Um, And when I went to send her a text, this verse dropped into my spirit, and I thought, "It's, it's perfect for what she needs right now. And I sent it, but then I was like, but wait, what am I even saying? Like, how many of you have done that? Like, you've heard these verses all your life, and you say them, and you quote them, but do you really, truly let them come on to you. Let them come into your heart. Let them come into your spirit and really know what it's saying. And um, so we were texting back and forth about it. And the word that I got kind of hung up on is sufficient. And um, so I looked it up. Um, and there's lots of meanings for sufficient. But one of the words that just popped out almost in bold to me was the word enough. And it's almost like God was just really saying to me, my grace is enough for you. And in a little bit further in, I'm going to share a few things um, about God's grace being enough. Um, But it just, when you put those together, God's grace, the favor that we don't deserve, along with it being enough, it just really sets the tone for all of the things that we walk through in life. Enough you know, means occurring in such a quantity as to fully meet a need, like enough. It's, it's, it's enough to meet a need or, an expe- or, or, or a promised end, right? That God's grace is sufficient. It's enough. So God's favor and blessing will fully meet our need. The question is begged then, for what? Some needs, all needs, or specific needs? And before we can transfer that idea of, uh, of, uh, to ourselves, uh, we need to go back into Paul's shoes just for a moment, one more time, to understand the original intent God had for saying these words, for, for, for giving us these lines of my grace is sufficient. And so Paul had some needs. Paul had the thorn uh, of some sort causing him some agony. Uh, God uh, likely would have been intending to communicate his favor was enough to get Paul through that agony. Uh, God's blessing was enough for Paul to live for a lengthy amount of time in, a, in the wider context is that Paul was defending his credibility as an apostle to the Corinthians because they were doubting. It's like, who, who are you? You know, and they were, they were leaning toward false teachers. And so here, here Paul is, is enduring this, this agony of like, you know, I've brought you life. I've brought you the truth. I've brought, I've brought you Christ. And, 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 and they're fighting that. And so he's having to endure that time. And uh, in the midst of their doubting his authority to speak on God's behalf, God tells Paul, my approval is enough. Because 
when, when grace, the unmerited favor of God, is approval. Like when I mentioned the, the uh, Mephibosheth. David placed an approval upon Mephibosheth that did not belong in that time frame. Mephibosheth was supposed to die by tradition. But because of the grace in David's heart, he passed favor. He passed approval. Now you can't touch Mephibosheth. Otherwise, you fear the wrath of the king. And isn't that a beautiful picture? It's probably one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible about grace. The approval. So God was saying to Paul, my approval is enough. The power behind Paul's ministry resided in God's approval and favor, not the Corinthians. Nothing else was needed, even without the Corinthians. Okay, God's approval was enough for him to accomplish whatever that he willed, God willed for Paul. I'd also like to think the father-like heart of God, the father heart of God wanted to remind Paul that he loved Paul. He wanted Paul to feel confident in, uh, of that love and to find his identity in that love. No matter what others were saying about him, God approved of Paul, even if others didn't. And knowing that that should have fully met Paul's needs to feel secure and valued in spite of whatever physical, spiritual, or emotional pain he was experiencing. And to take it a step further, just to kind of paint that picture and put it in, into context of where Paul first, and, and this is explained in Acts chapter 13, where Paul first was to take the gospel to the Jews, and then he was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The Jews thought of Paul, listen to this, as a traitor, preaching sacrilege, and would have rather killed him than to listen to him try to convince them about that Jesus was the Messiah they were looking for. So here Paul was, he was a killer. He killed Christians. He imprisoned Christians, entire families. Not just the men, but the women and the children too. He, he was taking them out. And now he's had this conversion experience where he realizes that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And now he's taking that gospel back to the Jews who were like, no, we, we just want to kill you. Shut your mouth. We don't want to hear this. And so he's got the Jews giving him a hard time. <laughs> the Gentiles didn't know what to do with Paul. Some were scared of him. Some tried to worship him, as in Acts chapter 14. Some stoned him, as in Acts chapter 14 a little later on. Some believed his message, and then some, like the Corinthians, believed his message initially, but got angry when he held them accountable. So this seems like a really messed up situation, right? It's like the Jews want to kill him, and the Gentiles, well, they're either scared of him, or they want to kill him. A few believe, but then a few believe, and then they're upset with him when he holds them accountable and tries to get them to alter and change their ways. So a pretty frustration thing. I can see where, where Paul is like, God, take this struggle from me. Take this thorn out of my flesh. And then all God says is, my grace is sufficient for you. The widest application implies God's favor was all Paul needed to successfully fulfill his calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So what does that mean for us as Christians today? How is his grace enough? How is, his, how is it sufficient enough for us all? Um, I think the number one thing that I would, if I was taking notes, I would write down is to survive pain. 
God's blessings is enough for us to make it through any kind of physical, spiritual, or emotional pain, no matter how long that pain exists. God's grace, his favor is enough all by itself to sustain us until he determines that pain should end. Um, I'm sure all of us have stories about how God's grace has brought us through situations and how God's grace has carried us. And I felt like today, honestly, I didn't know what I was going to say. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, when it came to this part, and actually we went to Atlanta last night and we pretty much talked about it the whole way there and the whole way back. And I knew God was stirring something in me to share with you, but it's not something that I share ever. Um, and Ben can tell you that. It's some, a part of our life that we walk through that um, I'm not proud of. I'm not, um, I don't like to talk about. How many of us like to talk about things that um, are gone, that are done? Um, but even as Leanne was singing this morning, as Leanne shared that verse or shared her heart about, um, she just felt like God's love was just his wings. He was here giving somebody a big hug. It just dropped confirmation that um, I needed to share a little bit of my story to this, to this, to survive pain. And a lot of people, you know, we've been here for about four years, four years, a little, four years. A little over four years. And, um, I haven't gotten to know a ton of people, um, very well, but the ones I have gotten to know, I love deeply. And even those people don't really know my whole story and my testimony of where God has really brought me. And I mean, I could start way back to from when I was a child, and I could go through my teen years when I was a hot mess. Even though I grew up in a Christian home, I was a hot mess, and my mom was probably watching on the live stream, and she's probably nodding her head going, oh, y'all don't even know. Um, and it was by the grace of God that I made it through my teen years. Um, so if you have a teenager and you don't know if they're going to make it or if you're going to make it, I'm here, and if I shared that part of my life, you would um, find faith in knowing that God's got it and that God's carrying you. But I fast forward, though, to a time in our life where um, it was a huge struggle. Um, if you're a mama, you probably remember back to when you weren't married, and you, that's all you dreamed of is you dreamed of being married, and you dreamed of having kids, and um, you dreamed of what your life would look like, and I got the husband, um, and pretty shortly after, <laughs> we um, ended up with a daughter, Madeline, who's now, um, she'll be 15 next, next week, Jesus, two weeks, yeah. um, and that in itself is a huge testimony because I didn't even think I was going to be able to have children. So um, the fact that we had Madeline was a huge blessing, but it also came at a time where um, I was not ready to be a mama. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Not that any of us know how to be a mom when that time comes, but um, we were right in the middle of a transition of our job. We moved a week after she was born. Um, my parents, who had been married my whole life, um, announced they were getting a divorce. Um, it was our first year of marriage, which... If you're married, that first year is either wonderful and blissful or it's going to rock your world. And one we were my, in the... One of my siblings' marriages Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were going through one of the well. siblings were announced they were getting a divorce at the same time. And we're sitting here just Jobless. treading water, <laughs> like literally trying to get our head above water. I had some complications with Madeline's birth. Um, it was just a perfect storm of a hot mess. 
and it sent me into a downward spiral of postpartum depression. I didn't know what that was. I didn't even know that that's what I was in. Um, we just knew it was bad, like really bad. Um, and when we were in the middle of that job transition, we ended up moving in with my parents, um, I should say my mom, because my dad had moved out. Um, we celebrated our first anniversary and- I messed that one up. He forgot our uh, first anniversary. Which was also my first Mother's Day. I know, yeah. Bro um, brothers, I need your love, you know. So. Sisters, uh, just don't throw any rocks yet. So. We have since moved on from that. and We are laughing, okay? <laughs> uh, 16 years ago, we were not laughing. Um, well, we are every now. now and then. It's, uh, yeah, we're, we're beyond that. So. My, my, um, my mother uh, <laughs> rescued him that night by about like 9 o'clock. She's like, you've messed up. You've got to go do something. It was too late, did. but hey, yeah, he I tried. tried. <laughs> he tried. Anyways, um, we ended up getting a job. We were um, in a very stable place after that, but I was still a mess. Um, I just, we, Madeline didn't sleep. Um, I don't know if there's any other mom and dads out there who've had a child who's not slept. And when I mean she didn't sleep, she did not sleep. Went through, went through a period of time where at the top of every hour in the middle of the night, she'd wake up. It take about 15, 20 minutes to get her back down. we get down to sleep, and then top of the next hour, she was up again. So it was, it was crazy. It, it was awful. Um, so sleep deprived, just completely a mess. We lived away from family, um, knowing what my mom was going through. Just life was awful. Um, but it should be good. In everybody else's eyes, you're married, you have a beautiful daughter, your husband, your pastor. husband's a pastor, you guys love Jesus, it's great. No, 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 it was far from great. Um, we we kind of stumbled through, um, and then comes Connor. <laughs> and Connor is 12, and um, goodness, the Lord knew we needed a sweet baby that slept. And, that child slept almost straight home from the hospital. Um, and I felt like I kind of leveled off a little bit. The things and the feelings that I was feeling kind of leveled off until um, Connor was about 10 months old. And then it was like someone flipped a light switch on. And I even went to Ben and I said, it's back. I don't know what it is, but it's back. And it was worse. And I felt like I was trapped in my body, but was out here doing something completely different. And I, w I felt impulsive, yet couldn't do anything. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to function. Um, that whole time period's very blurry. He actually was asking me about it yesterday, and um, we were talking about it, and I don't know if it's just I've kind of buried it and let Jesus just take it. <laughs> or if I really don't remember a lot. But the things I do remember were I was an awful wife. I was not a great mother. Um, I was not a good friend, sister, daughter, you name it. I, I was, it was bad. I well, was bad. And I'll, I'll add something here, which uh, we discussed the possibility, but during this same time, I love the Lord, leading worship, doing my best, but at the same time, struggling with pornography. And so... And that's when that got discovered. So imagine all that she's going through and then add the pain and failure that I'm doing while I'm, while I'm leading worship. And that was tough. That was, that was bad. That was wrong to, to 
be putting that on her. But at the same time, this is the storm that was happening in our life. And so contributing to that pain, um, yeah. <laughs> you could only imagine the, the turmoil that was happening in our home um, and the lack of peace. And um, we finally decided I needed to go talk to someone. I needed, I needed to get help. Um, I think my mom kind of helped contribute to that. She said, you, you've got to do something. I recognized it was there, but there was, I mean, as I, nothing worked. People would give me scriptures. People would, um, there was no texting back then. Um, <laughs> it's weird to even think about. But um, when I would see people at church, you know, they could tell I was going through something. And a few people knew. And they would share scriptures. But if you've never been in the dark, dark, dark place, you don't get that sometimes even scriptures just fall empty. I mean, I knew them. I could speak them to you. Um, but people saying them back to me is just like, okay, that's good for you. It's not going to work for me. No, that's great. Yep, he has a plan. If this is his plan, wow. Wow, I must be his favorite. If this is what I have to go through, yay me. Like, how did I get picked for this? You just, when you are at the bottom, nothing, nothing, and nothing anybody does or says can help. It, it, it's got to be Jesus and only Jesus. And um, it, took a, it took a minute for that, but going back to getting help, I went to our um, family doctor, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's baby blues. Let me just write you a prescription. Take this. You're going to feel way better. Come back in a couple weeks and we'll talk about it. Okay, that works. You know, I'm going to do what my doctor says, right? Um, no. Um, for some people that works, so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, um, there's no judgment. If there's anybody taking anything, there's no judgment on that. For me, it created a bigger mess. Um, it actually gave me suicidal thoughts and made me crazy, um, literally. I mean, I have no um, problem admitting that. It, it made me nuts. Now, I will say through this postpartum depression, um, I never had thoughts of hurting my children or wanting ill towards my kids or towards my husband. It was all me, like everything was internal. It was all directed at me. I needed to go away. I needed to be done. They didn't love me. Um, my husband didn't love me. My kids didn't need me. It was all directed at me. Um, and we decided that that medicine needed to come out of my body pretty quickly because I was, I was not doing well at all. Um, and this man is so much, <laughs> he's full of so much grace because not a lot of people would stand by um, their wife going through what I was going through. Um, but he did. And um, he has a lot of patience, let me tell you that. Um, but I remember one night, it was a Saturday night, and I don't even remember where I was going or why I was not even at home. I don't know if we had gotten in an argument, which is very possible at that time in our life, but I was driving around, and I remember calling him and literally thinking the only thing that can make this better is if I just drive my car off the road and hit a tree. I know that I'm not the only person in this room who has had those thoughts. And she, I know that because the Lord has been speaking to me, telling me that somebody else here has had those thoughts and may even be having those thoughts today. And those are lies. Those are lies. You are wanted. 
Yes. You are loved. Yes. There are people who need you. And you need to hear that today. And you need to hear that God's grace is enough for whatever you're going through. God's grace is here to survive whatever pain you're going through. Mine happens to be postpartum depression and wanting to hurt myself and not being able to take the medicine that should have helped me making me worse. And yours may look different. Yours may be... Am I doing something wrong? Your, your pain may be something different. It may be because of a different illness. It may be because of something that somebody else has done to you that you have absolutely no control over. I'm seeing and walking through some circumstances with friends currently who have had things put on them that are causing them so much pain. But God's grace is there for that too. He is there to bring you through that pain. And it took some godly women to come around me and hold my arms up and say, we believe in you. God's not done with you. And they literally held my hands up and finished walking me through that season and prayed me through, literally walked me through. I mean, if it was not for them leading me to Jesus, because I didn't need them. (laughs) They were just the vessel that God used to get me to him. And so if God speaks to you and says, you need to go hold her arms up, or you need to go hold his arms up, you need to do it. You need to move. Sometimes we get so comfortable right where we are that we think we hear God on it, but we're so busy. But if God is saying something to you and speaking to you, move, do it, because it could be life or death for somebody. And those ladies embraced me. They loved me. And they carried me through. And they carried me to Jesus. And they loved me enough in my mess. They didn't wait till I got fixed. They came and joined my mess. And they helped me clean up. We can't expect people who aren't in the right place with Jesus to know how to be. We can't. We can't expect it. We can join them in their mess and help clean it up. And show them Jesus. And give them Jesus. Um, So I know personally that God's grace is enough to get you through and survive any pain that is coming through in your life. And one more thing with that, um, we we had some um, other issues after I came out of that postpartum depression. Physically, I ended up having to have surgery where I was pretty much told, good luck having any more kids, and we went through a miscarriage, and um, then Madeline, our sweet 15-year-old now, she was, what, four then? Yeah, about four. Four, yeah, around four, said, I want a baby sister. Well, having walked through what we walked through after having two kids, were, mm, nope, <laughs> we are not doing that again, yet I had a piece about it. And she, um, and plus with the physical aspects that were going on in my life, I didn't think it was even going to be possible. But she um, prayed that she would have a baby sister. Now, mind you now, she tells us that when she prayed that prayer, she thought she was going to have a playmate right away. She didn't realize it was going to be an annoying little baby sister. That was, <laughs> she thought she was going to have a little five-year-old that came and was playing with her. Um, no, they love each other. But um, 
anyways, the Lord allowed me to um, have another child, and um, it was a girl, and her name is Eliana Rejoice, and she is going to be 10 in about a month, and I had absolutely zero postpartum depression after her. Um, it was, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I'm saying thank you, Jesus. Yeah. But it was prayed for. We prayed for it in advance. We asked God for it in advance. We prayed. People, I went to people. I opened my heart up and said, this has been a struggle. Will you please pray with me that this doesn't happen again? And God graced us with a wonderful pregnancy, an amazing birth. And her um, childhood has been great. She's, I couldn't imagine our life without her. She's a little spitfire. She's funny, but she loves super big. Mm. But I believe that God's um, grace is enough to cover your pain and to survive your pain. That leads me to, up to a slight interject follow-up to this, um, you know, with the birth of our, our youngest, Eliana, and, and those things um, changing for us. Uh, about 450 times in the Bible, approximately, the Bible says, and it came to pass. So God's grace is sufficient and enough for you in the pain, in the struggle, in the circumstance, but it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. At some point, now each person's story is different, the outcome's different, the length of the process is different for everyone. Some of you under, uh, uh, under today's message and hearing these words, it's just what you needed. And maybe your struggle is coming to an end immediately. But then some of you may be just beginning a struggle, or you may be in the middle and you don't see the light of the day. I'm just here to tell you, over 450 times, I think God was trying to get a point across, it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. So there is going to be healing. There is going to be strength. There is going to be victory. The hard part is the holding on. There is that fleshly response and I'm not saying fleshly in, in, a, in a condescending or a reprimand way, but our flesh responds with, thanks a lot, God. I wanted you to fix it. But he doesn't fix it all the time. He doesn't fix it right away. You know, for some, he doesn't fix it until we pass over into glory. And we, and, and, and we pass away in this life, and we, we open up our eyes in the next. But some... It, God's got a plan, and, 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 it, and it calls for trust. It, it calls for, just trust me, my grace is enough. And quickly go through a couple more points, and then we're going to get to the end. But the other, the other thing is God's grace is enough to empower us for ministry. See, not, and when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about a preaching gift. I'm not talking about a worship leading gift or, you know, or the ability to, to lead in that sense or to pastor children or to pastor youth or whatever. I'm not just talking about a preaching ministry because we all have a ministry. If you're called by God, you have a ministry, even if it's just being a witness and, 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 a, and, a, and a light where you work or in your business or, or in those things. We all have a ministry. God wants to take your gifts and talents 
and use that to minister to someone else. So God empowers us for ministry. The purpose, God's kingdom purposes are accomplished by his endorsement alone, not human approval, ability, or ambition. We all have a ministry, and his grace, his blessing, and approval is enough all by itself to make our ministries flourish and bloom. All right, and the next one would be to establish our security. Um, we all wonder to varying degrees if we are loved, valued, appreciated, accepted, approved of, desired, all of those things. Too often we look to others to affirm our worth. and God's grace, his approval is enough all by itself to solidify our true worth. And um, again, <laughs> me, um, I struggle with that. I struggle with that big time. Um, I think a lot of us probably do. We want to know that what we do, um, people approve of. We want to know that our boss thinks what we're doing is good enough. We want to think, uh, we want people to um, think that, we want our husbands to think that we are good wives and approve of us. Um, we want people to think we're good parents. They want, they, they, we want people to approve of that. We want people to value us. And there's nothing wrong with that. If we are allowing God's value to speak over us first. And if we are allowing his desires and his things that he thinks about us first and foremost to come on us. And that's hard. That's where you have to ask for God's grace big time in that. Because I think, and I may not, this may be speaking out of line, but women, I think, struggle with those insecurities a lot more than men do. But I know that ben, men want to also feel that worth from their boss. They want to they wanna feel from their wife that um, they are the best, you know? And um, I think it's very important for us to know that God's grace, his approval is all we need. And that's what he was telling Paul in that scripture. I'm it. Like, I got this, you know? I approve of you. You don't need anything else but what I'm saying and what I'm telling you right now. And I read once, and it's kind of one of those cheesy Christian little sayings, but um, it said, don't put, a, don't put a question mark where God has already put a period. And God has already put his approval on you. You don't need man's approval. You don't need anybody else. Just walk out in what God has given you and the grace that he has given you to um, be who he has called you to be. And also, finally, the last point, uh, to fulfill our callings. Uh, we're all here for two reasons, to, make, to know God and to make him known. How we make him known and to whom may vary, but ultimately we are called to the same thing. That's where going back to the ministry thing, we all have a ministry, to make him known. And the calling is not for the faint of heart, because your calling may, well, it will, produce struggles in your life. There'll be struggles to overcome. But God's grace, his favor, and blessing and approval is enough all by itself to empower us to do what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? So all this pain and all this stuff, and I want to take us back to our key verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, where it says, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And I want to key on this next phrase, because here's where I'm going to conclude. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Look up the, 
weak, weakness definition, like I said, we all kind of basically know what weakness is, but it kind of helps, like I said, to, to read the actual meaning. So here's the definition. Weakness is the state or condition of lacking strength, a quality or feature regarded as a disadvantage or fault. Synonyms that go with this are the word fault, flaw, defect, deficiency, weak point, failing, shortcoming, weak link, imperfection. Anybody feel encouraged right now? <laughs> but how many have felt this? I, I, I'm weak. I, I, I don't have all the abilities, the skills. I'm not whole. I'm not this or that. So I'm going to read real quick John chapter 9. I believe it's important to read this, and then I want to introduce you to somebody. Chapter 9 says, And Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who, who sinned? Who, di- who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither hath this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day, the night comes when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. How many remember this story? And he made clay, and he took the clay, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. There's another thank you, God, moment. Thanks a lot. Putting mud on my eyes. And he said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I thought it was interesting that it says, which by interpretation means sent. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means sent. God has washed you and he, he's, he's anointed you and he sent you. I, I just thought it was kind of, maybe it jumped off of the page at me, but it, I, almost, I thought it was a pretty awesome word picture, which by interpretation means sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, uh, uh, the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind said, Is not this the man that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, It's not him. And, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered to them, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, He sent me to the pool of Siloam and washed. He said, Go to the pool and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. I want to introduce you to a a man who's probably, over the last few years, has become one of my heroes. Now, he's not physically here, although I wish he was, because if he was, I wouldn't be speaking today. But any time that I ever feel deficient, or like I've got a defect, this guy's videos start popping up. And you may have seen his videos but I think it's going to be very important to introduce this man. Uh, his name is Nick Voyages. And after you watch this man, it's kind of hard to complain because God does have a plan for you, and his grace is sufficient for you. So let's see Nick. You know, I think a lot of people are waiting on God to change the circumstance to really be truly content in the Lord Jesus. But if you're not truly content in what Jesus has already done for you, you do not know what he's really done for you. Um, And that has set me free. 
And that has given me a platform to believe in miracles, but at the same time, not have to wait for miracles to happen before my joy in Jesus is true and full. Growing up in church, you know, every Sunday singing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, to believe that God loves us requires a lot of faith. Because I had a lot of questions. If God loved me, then why did he let me be born this way? If God can do all miracles and anything that I ask, he can do it. Then why doesn't he give me arms and legs when I ask him to relieve me of my pain? I wanted to know the answer. I actually felt that God, for some reason, wasn't listening. For some reason, didn't answer my prayer. Um, and I was starting to think that he wasn't real. What was so, um, I guess, really difficult to get through were the years between ages 8 and 12. I was actually the first uh, special needs child to be integrated into a mainstream school. Um, being the only one with no arms and no legs, of course, and in a wheelchair, I had a lot of unwanted attention, um, feeling depressed, feeling alone. And at age 10, I actually tried to commit suicide by drowning myself in six inches of water in my family bathtub. After a whole day of being bullied and teased, I just didn't want to live anymore. By the grace of God, on the third time I rolled over in my family bathtub, I saw my mum and my dad crying at my grave. I saw that pain that I would leave behind, and I decided to stay. But I went through depression because no one could heal my heart. No money, no amount of friends, no amount of education or things that I quote-unquote needed to get through my daily life. It just couldn't heal my heart. Finally, at age 15, God answered my prayer. It was when I read John chapter 9. A man was born blind, born with a disability that no one could actually explain. And that sort of sounded familiar to me. People asked Jesus, why was this man born blind? And Jesus said it was done so that the works of God would be revealed through him. And faith came over me. Hearing of the word produces faith. It is a gift. It is not a focus that you can muster up inside it is a gift given from god when you hear the promises through his word and that changed my life he healed my heart and now i can be an instrument in his hand to let people know as a miracle seeing his strength perfected in my weakness that would have otherwise been not as powerful it's more powerful seeing a man without arms and legs smiling than someone who got their miracle. What about for the people who didn't get their miracle? And for anyone who's watching right now who thinks that God doesn't have a purpose and what can God ever do with me? Well, look what God did with me. If God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, there is not one person watching this program where God can't use their broken pieces too. Now I want to quote Romans 8.28 where it says, All things come together for the good for those who love Him. You know, I thought that the greatest burden in my life was my circumstance. It is not. The greatest burden in your life is not your circumstance. 
The greatest burden in your life is you not being able to see your life clearly through God's eyes, knowing that He knows that He's going to be with you and He's going to pull you through, that all things come together for the good. Even the worst part of your life up to this point, God is so big, so mighty, so gracious that He can turn it into some good. If I was born without arms and legs and God did not give me arms and legs miraculously for one soul, bring it on. That's a, that's a pretty amazing story, isn't it? You can see why this guy's turned into one of my heroes. Is because I love what he said. Your greatest burden in life is not the tr- struggle or the deficiency or defect or whatever you want to label it as that, that, that hinders you in life or you feel like hinders you in life. Your greatest burden in life is not being able to see yourself through God's eyes. Because God does have a plan. And it doesn't matter what the struggle it might be. It doesn't matter what sickness you may be dwelling in or whatever. And let me, let me just quickly point out as well, you may be struggling with a sin. Um, one of the things that was pointed out in, in Scripture that, that sometimes eating, which I struggle with that. So I probably need to repent today. You know, struggling with eating because I like food a lot. But immorality sinfulness. There may be some sort of sin. And let me, let me point out to you that God's grace and his love covers those th- things, but God's grace calls you out. It w- God has not given us grace so that we can stay in that sin. God gives us grace for a period of time, giving us the opportunity to come out because God loves you too much to leave you in that situation. So if you feel convicted of a sin or, or something you may be struggling with, It's time to leave it at the altar this morning because God has a purpose for you. And a lot of times we stay struggling in those things and we we stay in that and we go back to the familiarity. We go back to the old life. We go back to the old ways because we don't see ourselves through God's eyes and we don't see that we do have a purpose. We see the struggle. We see the storm, which is the reason Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter, when he got out of the boat to walk on the water, he wanted to walk on water. He wanted to do the miraculous. He wanted to be like Jesus. Jesus said, well, come on. So he got out of the boat and he walked on water. But what did he do? He made the mistake of looking at the situations and getting his eyes off Jesus. And he's like, oh, I'm going to die out here. I'm going to drown. The storms, I'm not going to be able to give above water. And so he began to sink. But what did he do? He came back to the center point of the whole thing and said, Jesus, help me. He cried out to the Lord and said, help me. And what was Jesus there? Jesus was there to pull him up. And he walked on water again because... They walked back to the boat. So God's grace is sufficient no matter what you're going through. And so I want you to see yourself through God's eyes, not your eyes. And you, you may have to just 
Shut your eyes and just begin to look. You may have to make a determination in yourself, just like Joshua did. He said, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may just have to make that stand. You may have to build an altar of, of remembrance right there saying, this is the day where I turned away. This is the day where I gave it up and, and, and let God move in my life. This is the day that I, that I quit seeing myself through my eyes or through the eyes of someone else who told me I'm not worth it or I'm this or that or that person who hurt me and that person that took advantage of me or that person that keeps, keeps uh, saying things about me or, these, or the enemy that keeps coming in and I keep struggling with the thoughts that I'm never going to make it or, or the sickness or the, or the disease or whatever you may be struggling with. This is the day that I laid it on the altar before the Lord and I said, no more, I will look at myself through the eyes of my Savior because his grace is sufficient and his strength is made perfect in my weakness. That's when God begins to shine because why is he successful? Why is she successful? It's because of the grace of God and you will come through. Just hang on a little bit, baby. It's going to happen. God will fulfill his word. And just like the very, if you'll all stand with me right now, Worship team, if you'll come on up, don't worry about the distraction. But if you'll listen to me real quick, that's why in the first opening scriptures that I read, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that what? That we, that we, the ones who are going through the tribulation, may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort we which ourselves have been comforted by God. So you're going through to comfort somebody else. You're going through those situations because one day it's going to be your words of life, your words of healing that come out of your mouth to bring healing and to bring the miracle in somebody else. You're being prepared to be somebody else's miracle. And today, Jesus Christ is the miracle that you need. So if you allow me just a couple more minutes, I'm sorry I'm late, and I know your bellies are rumbling because you need to eat lunch. If you allow me just a few more minutes so that we can take this to Jesus and lay it on the altar before him. So if any of this is spoken to you, <coughs> it doesn't have to be a sin, but maybe it is. Maybe it's just I need to see, my eye, see, see myself through your eyes. God, give me the grace. Help me to see your grace. Help me to trust in your word that you will fulfill it, and that I cling to the promise that it didn't come to stay, it came to pass. Heavenly Father, I pray that you minister to each one. God, as we just bring this before you and we worship you for a few more minutes, two or three minutes, God, I just pray that we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name, I want you to come and I want you to bring it to the altar. If anything is spoken to you about that, if God is speaking to your heart and wooing you, bring it to the altar. Bring it to him. Have that altar encounter with him and say, God, I trust in you. I bring it to you. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Lord, I come running to you. Sin shelter, shelter, healer, Savior. I am running to you. You are my shelter, shelter, healer, healer, Savior. I am running to you. You're my shelter. Shelter, healer, healer, my Savior, Savior, I am running to you, you're my shelter, shelter. 
yes. Somebody say yes. Come on, say it. Say yes. Yes. Hallelujah. right now. I know you're praying, but if you'll stand up real quick, I want to pray over you. I want everybody out there to stretch your hands forth to each one. Because each one, I don't know your struggles. I don't know your pain or what you're going through. Um, But God does. And I want you to know that his grace is sufficient. God's got a purpose in it. God's got a plan in it. And The Bible says to cast all your cares upon him and to take his yoke upon you because his burden is easy, his burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That doesn't mean it's not going to be painful from time to time. But his promise is that his grace is sufficient. It is enough. And you can look back at the struggles you've already been through and you've heard me say this before, your, your heart's still ticking, your lungs are still sucking air. You still got a testimony in the making. And if you are in Christ, well, if you take your last breath here and you take it there, well, your struggle's over. You've received the promise in that sense. But God's got a purpose. You're still around here for a reason. So I want to pray for you. Everybody stretch your hand this way as we pray for each one. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for each one that has come to the altar and God just giving it to you, God. And I just pray that you would, in the only way that you know how, my words are feeble, Rachel's words are feeble, any preacher's words are feeble, God, trying to explain this big, vast, vast thing of grace, Lord, and, and, and it's just impossible to clearly communicate grace, but your Holy Spirit can. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you download. I pray that you would infuse. I pray that you would breathe the breath of life into each person here, God, as they receive and know that your grace is enough. It is sufficient. And that your strength is going to be made perfect. It is being made perfect in their weakness this very moment. You're working on their behalf. God, I pray that you restore relationships. I pray that you restore uh, homes. I pray that you restore health and healing and wholeness, God. Strengthen bodies, strengthen minds, strengthen spirit, God. I pray healing of emotional pain, God. I pray for for healing of the hurt of loss, God. I pray, God, that you would just infuse that life-giving breath, that life-giving strength from your Holy Spirit. And, Father, we give you praise and glory and honor for that in Jesus' name. And before you go, I think we ought to give God a hand clap of praise, thanking him for his grace. Come on. Come on. Don't patty cake. Don't patty cake. Give God some praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Have a good Lord's Day today. Love on somebody as you go. And give grace. Amen.